1 Corinthians chapter 6 and beginning in verse 1 says, When one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare go to law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Do you not know that we are to judge angels? How much more, then, matters pertaining to this life? So if you have such cases, why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church? I say this to your shame. Can it be that there is no one among you wise enough to settle a dispute between the brothers? But brother goes to law against brother, and that before the unbelievers. To have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat to you. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? But you yourselves wrong and defraud even your own brothers. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Boy, that church must have been a mess when you think about it. The members of the church are dragging one another into court. Now, that was not an uncommon thing. We don't know a ton about Corinth on this particular issue, but we know a lot about Athens. Not too awful far away. And similar culture, so we assume that there's some similarities. In Athens, court was like a regular thing for people to participate in. There was a few different levels of court. If you had a dispute with somebody over some property or some issue that you're dealing with, the first thing that they had is they had uh, kind of private arbiters. You'd be assigned somebody that would kind of come in as a third person and listen to your situation and try to settle your problem in an amicable way. If that didn't work, then you went to the to the panel of 40, and the panel of 40 would would pick a public arbiter for you. This happened all the time. And in Athens, when you turned 60, you had to spend that year of your life as a public arbiter, so trying to help other people solve their problems. So if the private arbiter didn't uh, function well for you or you didn't solve your problem, then they would appoint one to solve your problem. And if that didn't work, then they would assemble a jury to hear from your case and hear your case and try your circumstances and and that could be a rather large jury that they would pick from as well. In fact, uh, one ancient writer said that that pretty much everybody in Athens in one way or another could be called a lawyer, that it was so rampant. And so we assume that Corinth is similar and these people enjoyed, just as they enjoyed talking about all kinds of new ideas and philosophies, apparently enjoyed taking one another to court and arguing things out and hashing out problems and issues and stuff like that. Not a real good way to promote unity within the church or love between the members of the family of God. Well, that's what the Apostle Paul is called upon to deal with in the church at this time. I don't know if within Christianity, both those within it and those looking at it from the outside, if there's a more misunderstood concept than judging. The one verse that everybody seems to know is, Judge not, lest you be judged. Even though in a few verses after that, Jesus calls upon them to make a judgment, that verse kind of 
tends to drown everything out. Well, we saw last week that judging sin within the church is a church's responsibility, a step of obedience that is commanded by God. Well, this week we're looking at cases of individuals having scuffles or problems with one another for one reason or another. And he says this is where the church maybe needs to be involved in in judging as well. Even today, I've heard commonly Christians make statements that reveal to me that they don't really have the fundamentals of this passage down or the context of it. I've heard Christians say, oh, I can't go to court. I'm a Christian. I could never sue anybody. I'm a Christian. When I was in Ukraine, I led a Bible study one night. One of the ladies at the table said, I have a question for you. I'd like to know what you think. I have been working at this job. And she says, my boss refuses to pay me. And I'm a Christian, so I can't really go to court. So what do I do? Do I just have to let that go? And I said, no. I said, why why do you think you can't go to court because you're a Christian? And the allusion was made to this passage. Well, I think the first thing that we need to do is recognize the limitations of this passage before we go any farther. In other words, we don't want to make the Word of God say what it doesn't say. Actually, the courts were instituted by God. And they have a very fundamental purpose. That the passage is dealing with disputes that one person has against another. It's not dealing with criminal offenses. The Bible is very clear. Criminal offenses are left within the bounds, within the authority of the state. He's not talking about criminal offenses here. He's talking about issues between persons trying to get to what's fair and just. Romans chapter 13, beginning in verse 1, says, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God and avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. You know, in in society across America, there's been a lot going on this last year about our relationship to police officers and who they are. And God makes it very clear who they are. He refers to him as a servant of God. He's going to refer to him as a minister of God and an avenger that carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoers. Therefore, one must be in subjection not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. So I guess, you know, I hadn't really thought about that until this moment reading that, but all these budget cuts to police departments, I think God kind of weighed in there on that. And he says, you know what, that's part of what your taxes pay for. Pay your taxes so you can have the protection. Well, for our purposes here this morning, what is he delineating? When he's talking about court in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, he's not talking about criminal offenses. But then also, we need to look back and remember the history of the courts. And they are appointed by God back during the time of Moses, Exodus chapter 18. It says the next day Moses sat to judge the people. So this is the people have left Egypt and they're headed toward the promised land. But each day Moses would come and hear the complaints that people would have against one another and he would judge between the people according to God's righteous decrees. 
So the next day Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, What is this that you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone? And all the people stand around you from morning till evening. People come to me to inquire of God. When they have a dispute, they come to me, and I decide between one person and another, and I make them know the statutes of God and His laws. Moses' father-in-law said to him, What you are doing is not good. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out, for the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. Now obey my voice. I will give you advice, and God be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God, and you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. Moreover, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe. And place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. And let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you, but any small matter they shall decide themselves. So it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, God will direct you. You will be able to endure, and all this people also will go to their place in peace." So Moses listened to the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he had said. Moses chose able men out of all Israel and made them heads over the people, chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. And they judged the people at all times. Any hard case they brought to Moses, but any small matter they decided themselves. Then Moses let his father-in-law depart and he went away to his own country. And so you see Moses is wearing himself out himself out trying to judge the people and the father-in-law gives him some great advice. He says structure it so that the really tough cases will come to you, but you'll have these lower courts and it's just like what we have in our land. And it's not any surprise that in our courthouses, most of them across our nation, you're going to find things that reference Moses and the 10 commandments and the and our court system because that's where we got it. And so Moses, they set up courts and judges to oversee by tens, hundreds, thousands. Just like in our country, you go to a court, you go to a county court, and then if you need to appeal up higher, you can appeal up to state, to district, to supreme. And then there's a supreme court at the state level, a supreme court at the federal level. So we have structured layers of court, just like Moses set up back in the day. So the point is, God is the one that instituted these courts, and so he's not saying that they now have no value for the Christian. He is saying that within a realm of some cases, personal cases, that they needed to keep that kind of in-house, and the church needed to step in and get involved. The Apostle Paul is writing to the people here, and he's saying, look, you got church members taking each other to court and hashing things out before the unbelievers, before society. What a black eye that is to our Christian faith. What a disgrace that is to the honor and the glory of God. And so he's trying to tell them just simply this. That look, when it comes to God's house, when it comes to God's family, let's keep God's family business in-house. Within the church, let's, let's handle those issues. We can, we can deal with these things. We can handle these. And so it does not mean that the courts are not there for your protection. They are. If you're a Christian and you need something taken care of in a dispute with an unbeliever, then you know what? The courts is where you have to do that. It's not necessarily a fun thing to do, but that's a necessary part of our society. And they have a God-ordained function to take care of within our society. I've been involved in the courts uh, operating on a jury. And I came out of that jury experience 
with a tremendous amount of respect for our system. I was impressed with the degree to which the system goes to make sure that individual is getting a fair hearing. I've had to do it one other time in a personal matter. You know what I found? I found that at the courthouse, they're very helpful. Told me exactly how to fill out the forms, how to include legal fees within the dispute, and those kinds of things. And then I found that when I went before the judge, also very helpful. You know what? Sometimes it just, uh, the court system just adds the strength that is needed to make somebody do what they should have done to begin with. But you know what? That doesn't mean that we need to use it for everything. And that's what they were doing in Corinth. Corinth, they were dragging one another into court over oh, this dispute and that dispute. And apparently it looks like they just kind of love disputing. And the Apostle Paul says, you know what? That's enough of this. These cases that they were dealing with, they weren't criminal cases where they were murders or abuse or violence or anything like that. They were just disputes between persons. And the Apostle Paul says, we can take care of that. He's kind of calling them to do what Abraham did when he was with Lot. Remember when God called Abraham to leave Ur the Chaldees? And he took his cousin Lot with him and he went out and when they got over toward the, the promised land, the, the land that God had promised to Abraham, by this time they're both growing in wealth. Their flocks are, are multiplying and the people that they have hired to take care of their servants that are taking care of their flocks are multiplying. And so they're getting to the place where there's getting to be some squabbles over, over the grazing land and over the water sources. And Well, in Genesis chapter 13, verses 8 and 9, it says, Then Abraham said to Lot, Let there be no strife between you and me and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. Is not the whole land before you? Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, then I will go to the right. Or if you take the right hand, then I will go to the left. You see what Abraham does? Abraham says, look, we're family. There's no point in fighting over this between family. I'll tell you what, I'll give you first pick. If you go that way, I'll go the other way, no matter which way you pick. Well, that's really what God is calling the church in Corinth to do. And notice the terms that he keeps using. Brothers. He talks about a dispute between the brothers at the very end of verse 5. Verse 6, he says, But brother goes to law against brother, and that before the unbelievers. All of verse 8, But you yourselves wrong and defraud even your own brothers. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. We're, we're part of the family of God. Now, the family of God ought to be able to handle some of our issues in-house. Do you often call somebody from outside of your own home to handle squabbles between your own children? And that's what God is dealing with here as well. He says when this happens, when it's between two different children in God's family, then we can deal with this. We can handle this. And so that's exactly what he's encouraging us to do, is keeping God's family business in-house. Now, there's three reasons. The first reason that he gives them is competence. In other words, he's saying, look, we can do this. We have what we need to be able to solve this problem. Now notice, uh, the point that he is making is not that the Gentile courts are corrupt. And it's not that if you went to those courts, you wouldn't get a fair hearing. Actually, he's just saying there's no reason for you to take these matters into those courts because we can handle this right within the family of God. Notice he says in verse 1, he says, when one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare go to law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? Now, in the word unrighteous there, he's not really talking about their moral lifestyle, quality of life. He's not even thinking of a specific judge. The word unrighteous and saints are meant to contrast one another. In other words, he's saying you have an unbeliever who does not have the righteousness of Christ. 
And you have the believer who is a saint set apart into the righteousness of Christ. Why would you take your matters to the unbelieving world rather than the family of God, where you have the Holy Spirit in common, you have Christ in common? We can handle this so much better just at home. The Corinthian believers would have been very used to running to the courts. But it would have been a mixed bag, right? Because the Apostle Paul, whenever he would go anywhere, would first go into the Jewish synagogues and win people to Christ and then, and then reach out to the Gentiles all around him. And so there probably is a little bit of a mix of Jew and Gentiles. And they would have been hugely different in this issue. Because the Gentiles were quick to run to court for everything. The Jews would never run to a Gentile court. The Jewish people either handled it privately or they brought it to the synagogue to judge between these things. They would not think of going to an unbelieving court or a Gentile court because they felt that if they had to take their matters to the pagan courts, they felt like they were implying that God and God's Word and God's people were not able to handle these situations and so that they needed the pagan courts and the Jewish people would not go there. He says, you should be dragging this before the saints, not the unrighteous or not the unbelievers. He says, or do you not know? And that's a phrase that comes up in this, in chapter six, it comes up six times. Three times in this passage, three times in the rest of the chapter. He keeps telling them, and that must have kind of stung a little bit. Right? Because the Greek culture was big on philosophy. They were big on knowledge. And the Apostle Paul keeps coming back and saying, do you not know? Don't you know this? Don't you know this? In other words, are you ignorant of these things? And so he's going to point out a few things that they do not know. He says, Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Do you not know that we are to judge angels? How much more than matters pertaining to this life? In Daniel chapter 7, verse 22, it says, Until the Ancient of Days came, and judgment was given for the saints of the Most High, and the time came when the saints possessed the kingdom. The Old Testament teaches that there's a coming time when the Ancient of Days comes that the saints will possess the kingdom. They will govern. They will judge in these things. Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 12 says, If we endure, we will also reign with Him. If we deny Him, He also will deny us. A definite statement to it in Revelation chapter 20 and verse 4 says, Then I saw thrones, and seated on them were those to whom authority to judge was committed. Also I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the Word of God and for those who had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. And they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. So the point that he's been making in these passages is that when Christ comes back and sits on His throne for a thousand years, we're going to be ruling and reigning with Christ. He says, look, if you can do that, you can do this. We have what we need. So the point that he's doing is he's saying, look, your future, as the Bible clearly teaches, is going to be exercising judgment on my behalf in my kingdom. So he's saying, so you tell me you don't have what it takes to judge matters between personal disputes within the church? He says, I think you can do it. So he says, you know what? You are qualified. You are competent to do it here. Now, in verse 4, it's a little bit confusing. It's hard to know how to take it. He says, so if you have such cases, why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church? Now, each translation that we have uh, kind of interprets it and, and 
it, it looks a little more uh, on even footing than what it really is. Because it could be a couple different things. It could be talking about those who have no footing within the church as it looks like within the ESV. And so referring to the unbelieving court system. Um, but there's also a possibility that he's speaking sarcastically to them. And he's saying, look, uh, would, if you're going to bring your cases before somebody within the church, are you going to, even the, the least wise person among you, would you bring it to them? And so he's kind of uh, using some more sarcasm, which is possible. He used a little sarcasm in chapter 5 also. So it's possible. So it's kind of hard to know where he's landing there. But the point that he makes is simple. He says, I say this to your shame. Can it be that there is no one among you wise enough to settle a dispute? And so the point that he's making is, look, you have wise people in your church that you could bring these issues to that could help you come to a good understanding and a good result. You have that ability all within the house of God. So the family of God ought to make use of that in settling their disputes. What family doesn't have a dispute from time to time among its members. But he says, you know what? Baked right into the family of God is the ability. We are competent to be able to handle these matters. He says, so let's take care of business there. Let's keep it within the family. And that leads right into the second point that he makes with them is because of their connection. Not only are they competent to be able to do this, but they need to do this because of our connectedness, because of the fact that we are a family. He says, when you're defrauding one another, you're defrauding your brother. Why are you cheating your brother? He's using nothing but family terms in this thing. And he's saying, look, you are connected with one another. This ought to ring loud and clear in any parent's ears. I don't know if there's ever been a parent alive that didn't come along at one point and say, that is your brother, that is your sister. Why are you treating them like that? I heard it from my parents countless times. I said it to my children countless times because they're family. There's times where I would sit down with one or more of my kids and say, look, you know what? I know you got friends right now, but you know who's really going to be for you down the stretch? You know who's really going to be around for your whole life long? Your brothers and your sisters. That's who you're going to have. And that's what the Apostle Paul is doing with us here. He's like, when you guys are dragging, you're dragging your own brother to court, really? And notice what he says. He says, when you do that, you've already lost. You've already been defeated. The family's suffering when it gets to that point. He said, you know what? If you're going to suffer a defeat anyway, why don't you just give up your rights? Why don't you just give in? Let them have it. And you know, that brings about the love and the compassion that should be involved in a family. When you drag somebody into court, you're trying to get your own way. You're looking for the leverage that you need to protect you within a family. You don't need that leverage. You know what you need? You need love. You need understanding. And you need some wisdom. He says the church is competent. We have the wisdom right inside the, right inside the family. We should have the love right inside the family. We should have everything we need. We can handle it with our connectedness. Well, then not only that, but he also says character. The third reason we need to handle it in-house is because of character. He uses kind of broad categories. And he begins to walk through a list of a list of sins. He says, don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? So within the church, you have the people that are going to be judging and ruling and reigning in the kingdom of God. And outside of that, you have the people that aren't even going to be a part of the kingdom of God. So which makes the most sense to bring your dispute to? Well, it makes more sense to deal with it in God's family. 
But then he's going on from there. He says, Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. So why do we need the judgment from outside the kingdom of God judging within the kingdom of God? It just doesn't make any sense. He uses these broad terms. He says sexual morality. Sexual morality is pretty much the broadest term for sexual sins. It, it encompasses all of it. Any, uh, any sexuality that exists outside of the marriage relationship. This also would cover things like pornography. So any kind of illicit sexual relationship is found within this term. But then he goes on and says idolaters. So this would be somebody, again, broadly worshiping anything that's not God, holding up anything at a higher esteem than they do their relationship with God. Adulterers, so more specifically about the violation of the marriage covenant in dealing with sexuality. It says, nor men who practice homosexuality. This actually translates two words. One word deals with the effeminate side of the homosexual relationship and the other one with the aggressive or the masculine side of that relationship. So both of them. Go back to Romans. Romans chapter 1 also deals with lesbianism. So all anything pertaining to homosexuality is outside the kingdom of God. Nor thieves, nor the greedy. Now it ought to really start hitting home. When you're dragging people off to court all the time over every little thing, there's got to be some greed issues in your life. That's something that sets people outside the kingdom of God. Does your life want to reflect the unrighteous level of the world that you're dragging one another off into? Um, then he says, or drunkards. That's, that's pretty self-explanatory. Or revilers. Or swindlers. That again would fit right in with the greed. With them trying to get their way through the courts. Will inherit the kingdom of God. This kind of thing just really is not fitting in our life. Look, the courts are there for you to protect you from criminal cases. The courts are there for you to protect the innocent, or to protect the vulnerable from an unbelieving world. But when it comes to the disputes within the family of God, God says, let's keep this in-house. Why? You realize that within the Roman elite, between in the leadership of Rome, you can find in, in history all of these sins lived out as lifestyles within that culture. Corinth was about as corrupt as it got. And their leadership and officials were practicing and living within that corruption. The Apostle Paul says within the kingdom of God, we have character. These character traits that we need to live by. Now here's the super encouraging thing. After listing that that line of all those sins, he says, you know what, such were, I love that, were some of you. Such were some of you. But not anymore. You're not that anymore. Why? Because you've been washed. feels good to be washed. He says, you're washed. Whatever was in your past, you're washed. You're sanctified. Closely related to that word saints earlier on. You're sanctified. You're set apart for God. You know, in Titus chapter 3 and verse 5, he says he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. Regeneration is when the Holy Spirit comes into your heart, into your life, and makes you alive in Christ. He tells us in Titus that that washes us. It's not by works that we've done, but by that work of the Spirit as He washes us. 
2 Corinthians talks about our being a new creature. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And in 1 Corinthians, in our passages, it says, and such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So God has given us the government and the governmental courts for certain things, for capital issues, for criminal offenses, for areas where we have to be protected from somebody that doesn't recognize the authority of the church. Within the family of God, we have the competence that God has built within the church by people that are going to be used in his kingdom throughout time to exercise rulings and make judgments so we have the confidence, we have the connectedness of being brothers and sisters in Christ, part of the same family. And we have the same values, the same character as we strive to live together with one another in bringing honor and glory to God.